You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we're going to recap the Marlins winning series. They take two out of three against the Brewers with a 6-2 victory today in what was an afternoon game before the day off tomorrow. And boy, does the day off tomorrow come at the best time possible. I'm going to talk about how the Marlins are going to to try to move forward now with potentially a laundry list of injuries as Garrett Cooper went down with a foot injury. He fouled one off his foot, assuming it should be fine. X-rays came back as negative. That was the biggest concern. As long as there's no chip or break in that bone, he should be fine to return, especially after having a day off. So we'll remain cautiously optimistic there. Corey Dickerson came out of the ballgame with what was described as slight groin discomfort. So that doesn't sound too, too bad. Maybe it was more precautionary, especially with, again, the day off coming up tomorrow. The Marlins were in control at that point, up three or four runs. I think you could probably say that that was the Marlins erring on the side of caution there, especially with how thin they are right now from top to bottom. I mean, this team has just been really bitten by the injury bug, and they're staying afloat. I mean, to be able to take this series in Milwaukee, a good team, a very bad offense, I'll say, because they're dealing with injuries of their own. They just got Colton Wong back, but they're missing Christian Yelich. They're missing Lorenzo Cain, and the Marlins were able to avoid having to face Brandon Woodruff, and they beat Corbin Burns. And I thought it might have been Eric Lauer that was going to pitch today. Instead, it was Zach Godley. Godley comes out in the fourth inning with his own injury, a blister on his finger or contusion, whatever they called it. Maybe it was a bruise. I thought it looked like a blister, but apparently the word they used was contusion, which is just a fancy word for bruise. So something happened with Godley's finger, but Godley wasn't good before that. I don't know if it was bothering him all start long. I mean, he wasn't good last year with the Red Sox anyways, and the Marlins took advantage of that. He walked five. He did strike out five, but he gave up three runs, and the Marlins kind of pounced on him. And then they got two more runs on Yardley, and again, we're in control most of the ball game thanks to a very solid start once again by Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara hasn't had his swing and miss stuff quite to the degree that he normally does the last couple outings, but that's the amazing thing about Sandy is even when he's not racking up the Ks, he's going to get a lot of weak contact, get ground balls, and go deep into ball games. He was disappointed in himself. He said it in the postgame press conference for not being able to go six innings in his last start because he's almost a shoo-in. He's almost guaranteed to go six innings every single start in an era now where starters just don't go that deep. It is so great to see somebody like Sandy Alcantara. I know the bullpen definitely loves him. I know Mattingly loves him, but to have a guy that's going to go seven innings more often than he's not, I mean, that is a crazy bonus in today's game. And Sandy looks like as long as he stays healthy, a good shot to eat 200 innings again in an era where you don't see that many starters eating 200 innings like they used to. This was not a good Brewers lineup and, you know, you want to keep them in check. But the Marlins lineup was just as decimated, if not more, especially once we got to the end of that ball game after Dickerson came out, after Cooper came out. You had Brinson come in for Cooper. You had Sierra come in for Dickerson. Sierra actually put a pretty good swing on the ball and picked up a base hit. But I mean, at that point, thank goodness the Marlins already had a lot of runs and a lead because I would not be betting on an offense that 
After Miggy Rowe and Aguilar goes Brinson, Sierra, Duvall, Birdie, Diaz, and Wallach. Um, that's not an offense that I would want to be playing from behind with. So good thing the Marlins had the lead early on because Jesus Aguilar just stays locked in. Jesus Aguilar is probably the hottest hitter in baseball right now. Four home runs in his last five games. He now leads the major leagues in RBI. With the three-run shot today, he overtook J.D. Martinez, now up to 22 runs driven in on the year. I mean, it has been so well-timed for Aguilar to get going for this ball club, especially with how thin the offense is, and especially now, if Cooper or Dickerson are out, I still, with the day off, think that they will return, but you never know. Things right now have just been not trending in the right direction for the Marlins when it comes to health. I will say, though, last year, the Marlins had to overcome a lot more adversity than this, although this is pretty darn unfortunate with how many players are going down and dropping like flies. They did persevere through it last year. This is a really resilient ball club as we saw today, as we've seen in the last few ball games. The fact that they've been able to compete regardless and be able to win ball games with just how decimated they are with Duvall in center, with all of the mixing and matching that they've had to do calling up Jose Devers, who had only played 33 games at high A. Just so many things that this team did not really want to do or did not even think it would have to do and got just put in that situation. It's been pretty impressive to see this team at 11-13 and 13 with a very solid run differential to start this season. And you got to figure as the reinforcements come and return, there's only going to be a better look for this team and they're only going to be uh, stronger and stronger. So if they can hold their own, Having the reinforcements come back one by one will almost build this team back up and they could catch a little bit of fire and have some energy. If you can see that even with a shell of your ball club that you're able to compete, that you're able to take two out of three from a team that was well over 500 going into the series, getting your star players back is only going to add to that confidence and optimism. The other thing that we said going into this year, I know this was something that most Marlins fans believed, and this is something I tried to you know, communicate and hammer home so that people would have some confidence going into the year, is that this Marlins rotation, even without Sixto, so imagine when they get Sixto back, this rotation will keep them in ball games no matter how mediocre the offense is. Of course, it's going to be hard to win games when you're scoring one to two runs, but assuming that the Marlins offense can be at least decent, and in the time being, it may not even be decent, but their pitching is so good that it will keep them in games and give them a chance where if you have somebody run into a ball like Aguilar did today and hit a three-run shot, that could easily be all it takes to win a game. And having that pitching, I mean, good pitching is always going to trump good hitting. And that is what we're seeing with this Marlins team is that the good pitching is keeping them in games. And look at the bullpen settling in now. Dylan Floro, again, another scoreless outing. He's got his ERA down to 1.54. Yimmy Garcia, a scoreless outing as well. Not a safe situation, but does pick up another solid scoreless inning. This bullpen at the back end is looking solid, especially with the emergence of guys like Jordan Holloway with Anthony Bender waiting in the wings and John Curtis also looking settled in. There's definitely reason for optimism moving forward, but with even if let's, let's say that Dickerson and Cooper are back with Marte out, with Anderson out, and now Jazz Chisel missing, this is going to be pretty difficult for this ball club to stay afloat. 
They need to tread water, and they have a series coming up with the Nationals, which I will preview in the second half of this episode in just a minute. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar 18 Delicious Flavors. As you know, I always got to tell you about those delicious Built Bar flavors. Everything from caramel brownie, cookies and cream, you got carrot cake, apple almond crisp, my personal favorite, or at least one of them, and my favorite right now for the time being is mint brownie. Also, peanut butter is at the top of my list as well. Peanut butter for a flavor profile, 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, only 5 grams of net carbs. It's pretty tough to beat that. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at BetOnline. But this week is pretty busy in sports. We've got the NFL draft coming up on Thursday. We'll see what the Dolphins decide to do with the sixth overall pick. Also, we have the Kentucky Derby back with the first leg of the Triple Crown beginning this weekend. But you can also get all your latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, and MMA action over at Ben Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using the promo code Locked On. That's one word, Locked On, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So before we look ahead to this national series that awaits the Marlins on the other side of the off day, I also wanted to talk about the one loss that the Marlins had in game two. It was a close ball game. They put up a good fight, and it was one of those games where you knew it was going to come down to the bullpens possibly, and you just didn't know what you were going to get out of your starting pitcher in Dan Castano. And I had mentioned somewhat of my concern with Dan Castano going into what is a hitter's ballpark big time. And as he is a fly ball pitcher, how many times did we see deep fly balls in Marlins Park for Dan Castano that he's able to keep in the yard there? But as a fly ball pitcher that gives up a lot of hard contact and doesn't get a lot of swings and misses, it was kind of it was kind of predictable that Dan Castano was going to struggle in that outing. And he did struggle. He went three and a third, six hits, three earned runs, one walk, three strikeouts, two homers, one of them to Adrian Hauser, the Brewers pitcher. And he was barreled up quite a few times. One, two, three, four, five, six on the tally there for how many times he was barreled. However, the weird thing with that outing from Castano, it was actually the best swing and miss stuff we've seen from him this year. And in a while, he racked up nine swings and misses, which was more than anybody in that ballgame. Adrian Hauser only had four, and Hauser went five and two-thirds innings and had seven strikeouts. So on one side, the Marlins obviously went down looking way too many times, but also Dan Castano had some decent swing and miss stuff in this game. It kind of makes sense, though, because Castano against lefties does get some more swings and misses because of the fact that his best pitch is his slider. That's why I always say Castano could actually be a Ross Detweiler type out of the bullpen if he just really focuses on that slider and uses that slider as much as we see Detweiler using it now, probably even more than that. And the Brewers lineup, though, they did try to load up on more righties by starting Tyrone Taylor and by starting a few other guys that are somewhat platoon type of players. They still had Travis Shaw in there, a lefty that can swing and miss a lot. Jackie Bradley, a lefty in there who swings and misses quite a bit. And then for the sake of platooning, they the Brewers, that is, put in some players, some right-handed hitters that really are not major league caliber starters like Pablo Reyes 
and a lineup as a whole that was somewhat favorable, at least matchup-wise, for Castano with a few swing and miss lefties and some guys that are not really big league regulars. But we have to come to realize that Dan Castano is going to have starts like this where he's going to get knocked around and he's probably not going to make it through four or five innings. That's just going to happen sometimes because his margin for error is so razor thin. He can't really miss his spots much with that 90 mile an hour fastball. He only has the one true out pitch that he can really rely on, which is a slider. And the reality is that the Marlins don't really want Dan Castano to be starting a lot of ball games for them. That is not to say that Dan Castano shouldn't be a major league starter. That's nothing against Dan Castano. That's just because the Marlins rotation is so darn good that if Dan Castano is starting games for you, that that means somebody's hurt or somebody is really, really, really struggling. And that's why in this situation here, multiple guys are hurt. And that's why we see Dan Castano making starts for this Marlins team. He's probably going to make a few more because even though Eliezer Hernandez is the furthest along in his recovery right now and throwing from 95 feet, I believe it's still going to be a little bit more time, at least a couple more weeks. So we'll see a few more Castano starts. He'll be able to hold his own. I don't think every single start's going to look like this one. And he's a competitor that will be able to keep the Marlins in ball games and at least mix in some quality starts here and there. So, you know, it it is what it is. I think there's teams that are looking at much worse options in their rotation without two injuries to their starters. And the fact that Castano has been able to contribute this much to the big league level the last season and a half is honestly a huge bonus and not what many expected from the left-hander when he was with the Cardinals and even early on when he made the move over to the Marlins as part of that Ozuna trade. Looking at the rest of the bullpen too, another scoreless inning from Anthony Bass, who gets his ERA down to 6.23 now, which still is very, very high, but mind you, it was at 23, not even three weeks ago. So he's definitely settling in now quite a bit. And while it feels like Bass has just been terrible this season because of how pronounced the struggles were in his first outing, giving up four earned runs, and then in his third outing, blowing another save and giving up another two earned runs, Those are the only runs he's given up all season. He's followed that up with now seven scoreless outings, and he's looking like the solid reliever that we knew he could be. Whether he was the closer or should be a closer or not, that is a very fair discussion, and clearly Yimmy Garcia has a leg up on him and has been performing and hasn't given the Marlins any reason to hesitate or even blink about the closer role at this point. But for Bass to be the reliever the Marlins thought they signed and at least knew they signed because now he's looking like that guy, such a big bonus for the back end of the bullpen, especially with Floro and now Curtis performing. This is a pretty solid bullpen with the improvement of Bass, with Floro settling in, with Curtis's improvement, and then all of a sudden the emergence of Holloway. And you got a few other guys waiting in the wings as I mentioned earlier with Anthony Bender, who could be a lights out reliever potentially. It's so volatile. And of course he could come in and look nothing like he looked in spring training, but he was pretty darn good in spring training. And Holloway, I cannot talk enough about how impressive Holloway has been. He looks like a different pitcher and I'm super excited to see what he can do. And I hope the Marlins keep him up at the major league level because the guy seems to just continue to mature and is getting better each time we see him out there. Looking ahead at the Marlins series with the Nationals, a team that heading into the season, I said, has a very good shot at finishing in last. And they look like a team 
that is going to finish in last. The Marlins, even banged up, have looked way better than the Nationals, and the Marlins have some interesting pitching matchups as we head into this series. Pablo Lopez against John Lester. Yes, John Lester is pitching for the Nationals now, and I'm sure they'll be lining up in the nation's capital to see John Lester's Nationals debut as he's had his debut delayed with the ball club because of the COVID IL, and he had something else going on. I think it was something with his thyroid the first time around, and then it was delayed again because of a stint on the COVID IL. So this will be his first start. I'm not sure how long they'll try to stretch him out, the Nationals, and it might end up going to the Nationals' bullpen in the middle of the game. It is another opportunity, depending on how Lester looks. I'm assuming he's not going to look phenomenal, given that he hasn't pitched in a while and that he hasn't looked good in a while since like 2017. So this could be another opportunity for the Marlins. But again, I feel like I say that, and when it seems like an opportunity for the Marlins' offense to capitalize, they don't. And then when it seems like they're facing, or when they are facing one of the best pitchers in baseball, like Corbin Burns or Jacob deGrom, they find a way to win. And this team has just always been an enigma. Then they also face Joe Ross in game two. We'll see who the starter is for the Marlins. I guess you could tentatively say it could be Paul Campbell getting one more shot, but I would love to see Jordan Holloway maybe get the start as an opener and go two innings, maybe three if they can stretch him out, but maybe they'll want to piggyback Holloway off of Campbell. I'd prefer to see it the other way around, but another matchup for the Marlins, I wouldn't say it's an advantage to them because they literally don't really have a starter for that game, but Joe Ross has not been that great either. A 4.64 ERA and a FIP of 5.70, so not great either. And before I move on from Joe Ross, this is kind of crazy to me. This is one of those guys who you hear their age and you're like, what? Or at least for me it was. And with my friends I was with the other day when I brought this up, they all were totally wrong on how old Joe Ross is. So I'm going to give you five seconds here. How old do you think Joe Ross is? I'm going to give a five count and then I will tell you how old he is so you have time to think about it. Think about it. Think about it. He's 28 years old. I thought Joe Ross was like going on 33, 34 years old. He's only 28. He feels like he's been around forever. But regardless, he has not been good for a while. He has not had a sub five ERA since 2016. So this Nationals rotation is laboring quite a bit. Unfortunately, Strasburg is on the IL, which is a much too familiar place for him at this point, and that's why I was so surprised to see the lack of starting pitching acquisitions made by the Nationals. Yes, I know you have three studs in Scherzer, Patrick Corbin, and Strasburg, but Scherzer's aging. Strasburg can't stay healthy, and then you have some questionable spots in the rest of your rotation with old John Lester and Joe Ross, and then an inconsistent at times Patrick Corbin. I just don't know how they could have looked at that team top to bottom and said, okay, we're going to go into the season and be competitive. And then your big bats that you get are two guys that are not good defensively and have been inconsistent hitters in Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. This is just a weird team, and I just don't know how they thought that they were going to be successful this season. It's pretty wild. And yet people were looking at the team just because they have Juan Soto and they have a couple big name starters and saying, okay, yeah, well, they're definitely finishing ahead of the Marlins. You can make excuses for that team because of the injuries they've had. And now Juan Soto is on the IL as well. And the Marlins may be able to avoid Soto, of course, for the sake of baseball and for the sake of Soto. I want to see him back as soon as possible, but it wouldn't be the worst thing ever if he comes back two games later uh, at the end end of the Marlins series or after the Marlins series, but right now he's not able to throw. And so since he can't throw and there's no DH, 
I doubt that he's going to be coming back for this series. If he does, it might be for the final game. His arm is still a bit tender. He's been hitting. He's been swinging the bat. But you can't hide him anywhere with no DH. So maybe he'll pinch hit here and there, and that's it. But I figure at that point, you might as well just rest him and make sure he's fully healthy and ready to go. So the Marlins may be able to avoid Juan Soto in the series. They're going to avoid Scherzer. They're going to avoid Strasburg. So the pitching matchups as follow should be. And this is the expectation. Who knows how it will exactly uh, go. But we know it'll probably be Pablo Lopez versus John Lester. Then I'm assuming Paul Campbell slash Jordan Holloway against Joe Ross. And then Trevor Rogers versus Patrick Corbin. Corbin has looked good at times this year. He's looked absolutely terrible at times this year. But a three-game series in Washington against a Nationals team that's 8-12 and and honestly could have a worse record than that. I'm surprised they aren't worse. The only guys to really look out for in this offense right now that have been hitting the ball well it's very limited. Josh Harrison, surprisingly, has been good this season. He's a guy that just seems like he's always been able to hit. And then Trey Turner. That's about it. Trey Turner has six home runs too, which is pretty awesome because if he's starting to hit for power now with his speed, he is just such an interesting player and a lot of fun to watch. But Trey Turner is also punching out a lot. You also have the fact that Josh Harrison is not hitting for much power. He's not going to slug that much. He's just looking to walk and hit lefties pretty darn hard, but he's hitting lefties and righties so far this year. Ryan Zimmerman, aging like fine wine, three home runs, and he's hitting 297. That's probably the guy you have to look out for if we're being honest because he is a Marlins killer through and through. 38 jacks in his career against the Marlins, also a 297 hitter against the Fish, and he's driven in 113 runs in 192 games against the Marlins. He has always been a Marlins killer. And you know what, though? I do like Ryan Zimmerman, so I'm I'm happy to see him aging well. He probably will be a thorn in the Marlins' side in this series because he always is. But you know what? Ryan Zimmerman I don't think, at least, is going to single-handedly beat you. And as I say this, I cannot wait for some of you guys to circle back after Zimmerman puts up an Adam Duvall game and has like seven runs driven in and literally single-handedly beats the Marlins. But when I look at the rest of the offense, I just don't really see how if you attack these hitters, how they can really burn you. Robles has been struggling. Schwarber is legitimately terrible. He's hitting a 196. I said going into this season, and I said the second they made the acquisition, the Josh Bell trade was terrible for them. He can't hit. There's no way he can hit the way he does with all the movement that he has and all of the noise in his swing. You can't swing and miss at 50% of balls down the middle and be a successful hitter in the big leagues. And they gave up actually one of the more underrated prospects in their system in Eddie Yeen, who is an electric arm. And I think that's going to, when we circle back in a few years, that's going to look like a trade that will go down as one of the really bad ones because I think Eddie Yeen is going to turn into a very legitimate arm for the Pirates. Also, a crazy note just to think about. Remember how close the Marlins, I don't know how close it was, but it was often discussed with the Marlins trading with the Nationals and potentially getting Victor Robles in a deal. And the Nationals honestly were like tentative to even just do Victor Robles. And that, that whole situation was kind of fluid. I don't know who was holding back more than the other. You hear one thing, you hear another. Regardless, there was legitimate conversation about Victor Robles from Yo Muto as the outline of the deal instead of what the Marlins ultimately got with Sixto, Will Stewart, and Alfaro 
Could you imagine if the Marlins got Robles instead of Sixto and it would just be another struggling outfielder? So sometimes I know it's easy to just be like, oh man, like this trade went bad, this trade went bad. You know, how did we end up with these guys? On the flip side, there's been some times where the Marlins have gotten lucky and I'd say that's one of them. Obviously the Cardinals is one of them. And now look at Stanton. That one's looked pretty lucky as well. But Victor Robles, a prospect that was always interesting, but just has not been able to put it together. Just a 574 OPS. So not a juggernaut of an offense by any stretch. You're hoping that the Marlins are able to keep them in check as they should be able to with their pitching. Uh, The big hurdle might be game two because that will be the challenge if the Marlins offense is presumably thin. We don't know how thin just yet, depending on the reports on Cooper and Dickerson. There's definitely going to be a challenge there, but the hope is that the bullpen can surprise, that bullpen game the team can surprise, or the offense can step up in that one and run into a couple baseballs, and maybe Aguilar can just stay on his hot streak. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to those who take the time to leave ratings as they help me immensely, and I really do appreciate getting your feedback. I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow. It will be a mailbag day tomorrow on the day off. I want to answer all your questions and keep you entertained with no Marlins baseball tomorrow. So feel free, starting now, the second you listen to this, pull out your phone and go on Twitter and fire some questions at me for the mailbag. I will have a tweet that you can kind of put a thread of questions under, but if it's not up yet, just literally tweet at ArmLateNate or at LockedOnMarlins, and I will write down that question and I'll save it for the mailbag. Thank you so much in advance, and I look forward to answering your questions tomorrow.